Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. You know by now, patrons heard this episode first. When you join, you get episodes one day early, a bonus episode every month, priority when requesting a case, and a shout out on an episode. To join the Patreon, click the link in our show notes or head over to patreon.com slash the murder diaries pod. See you there. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. Hey, besties, it's Natalie. Paige can't be here today, but don't worry. She'll be back next week. Until then, let me tell you about the case I have for you today. It's one that deserves more coverage in the true crime community. It's about a young woman whose life was tragically cut short when a stranger followed her home, silently sliding into the building before the door shut, stalking her up six flights of stairs and forcing his way inside her apartment. While Christina's murder hasn't been proven to be racially motivated, she's just one in a string of recent Asian American women senselessly murdered throughout the United States. Initially, news outlets spread Christina's story like wildfire, and New Yorkers protested the surge of violence against the local AAPI community, which has risen by 361% in the last two years, according to a December 2021 report by the NYPD. But all of that wasn't enough to keep the spotlight on Christina, her case, or the community. Because all three completely fell out of conversation by the next news cycle. Since then, her case has received little to no coverage. So let's do our part to remember Christina, who's more than a statistic or a headline. She's a daughter, sister, beloved friend, a 2008 Rutgers graduate, and talented artist who will forever be missed. This is her story. You still think it's in my head. I'm walking with the dead. It's a little after 4.20 a.m. on Sunday, February 13th of this year, 2022. A woman named Star is sleeping in her Lower East Side apartment when she's startled awake and thrust into a real-life nightmare. She can hear sounds of a physical struggle, but it's the accompanied blood-curdling screams of please help me call 911 that send a chill down her spine. Star quickly realizes the cries for help are coming from her new neighbor across the hall, 35-year-old Christina Yuna Lee. Her heart's beating out of her chest as she frantically dials 911. Desperate for help, anxious for Christina to be okay, and not sure what else to do. Meanwhile, Christina's cries continue, prompting a second neighbor to investigate the commotion. The 24-year-old neighbor carefully creeps into the hallway and 
inches his way toward Christina's door. When he's finally standing in front of it, he overhears a man's voice attempting to quiet Christina from inside the apartment. The more the neighbor hears, the bigger the pit in his stomach grows. We don't know what was specifically said because the neighbor doesn't go into details during his interview with the Daily News or in any other publications. But the gist of it is, while standing outside of Christina's apartment door, he heard a threat. And that threat made him believe the assailant could be in possession of a firearm or some type of weapon. So he hightailed it out of there, retreating to his own apartment and dialed 911. Christina's pleas for help wake other tenants in the 23-unit low-rise as well. But no other efforts to aid Christina or additional calls to 911 are made by them. In fact, a third neighbor would later report the scream sounded like something out of a movie, but he, quote, didn't think anything of it. Right now feels like a good time to remind our Murder Diaries listeners, if you see or hear something, say something. And this is in no way a judgment on the third neighbor whatsoever. He clearly didn't know what to make of the situation, and most people probably wouldn't either. But if our listeners are anything like us, like me and Paige, then you know there's always a possibility that the screams aren't from a movie. They're not from horsing around. And your phone call could save someone's life. Officers from NYPD's 5th Precinct arrive at Christina's apartment building on Christie Street no later than 4.30 a.m., just minutes after the first 911 call was made. Right away, the responding officers can tell they have a serious situation on their hands because they can hear Christina. The sound of her cries echo throughout the building, leading the officers up several flights of stairs to her sixth floor residence. And as the officers pound on the front door, they can still hear Christina fighting for her life somewhere inside the one-bedroom apartment. And if Paige were here today, I know she'd be asking, why don't they just bust down that door? And I'd tell her, well, they tried. But despite their best efforts, the officers can't get to Christina. And there's actually a couple of reasons. Christina's front door is steel, like solid steel, at least according to the building's owner, Brian Chen, who spoke with Fox 5 New York. It's clear in his conversation with the news outlet that he deeply cares about the people living in his building because he explains that landlords have a responsibility to protect their tenants. So he equipped each of the 23 units with a solid steel door to act as their first line of defense against intruders. But in this case, it sort of backfired because the steel door is shielding the offender inside the apartment while keeping the good guys out in the hallway. But even if law enforcement were able to break down the door, which they aren't able to do at this point, they still wouldn't be able to get to Christina because it turns out the offender barricaded the entryway with furniture and anything else he could find. So the officers request backup and a specialty unit with the tools to break through the door and the barricade. But the police know they don't have time to wait around for these additional units to arrive on scene. Christina's life is in peril and she needs help now. But as the police are figuring out their next move, the scene suddenly goes quiet. The officers realize for the first time since they arrived, Christina isn't screaming. She's no longer pleading for someone, anyone to save her. Instead, the apartment is 
eerily silent, except for the officers calling to Christina from their side of the door, letting her know that they're still there to help. Then in a strange turn of events, a woman's voice emerges from inside the apartment saying, I'm fine, which is such a weird response given everything that's happened so far. The screaming, the begging for help. It just doesn't make sense. But what's even weirder is that it isn't Christina's voice. So if it's not Christina's voice, then whose is it? Well, the voice actually belongs to 25-year-old Asamad Nash, a homeless career criminal and the man who's been holding Christina hostage for more than an hour. According to NBC, Asamad has a rap sheet a mile long with five prior felonies and three pending court cases. And if you're wondering why the guy isn't in jail, well, he was in and out of jail in the months leading up to this encounter with Christina, thanks to those three unresolved lawsuits I just mentioned. And I know you're all wondering what he did and why he still wasn't in police custody, so I'll tell you. The Post simply states Asamad was arrested for robbery. Well, NBC paints a much darker and detailed timeline of what really happened. Turns out, Asamad is known for illegally selling Metro fare. And that's a big no-no anywhere, but especially in NYC, where almost everyone exclusively uses public transportation. You just don't do it. But he did, and he jammed Metro card machines, putting them out of service, thus forcing subway riders to buy tickets he supplied. However, this scheme came crashing down on him when he completed a $2 sale with an undercover NYPD transit cop on September 23rd, 2021. This resulted in Asamad's arrest, but the encounter didn't end there because as the cop was patting Asamad down, he found a packet of K2 in one of his pockets. The criminal complaint detailing the arrest alleges Asamad told the officers, quote, can I get my K2 back? I love K2. And for those of you who may be unfamiliar or don't have time to Google right now, I'll tell you what K2 is. I'd never heard of it either, but according to WebMD and NYC.gov, K2 is a synthetic weed, sometimes referred to as spice. WebMD goes on to explain that K2 is unregulated and therefore has the possibility to be incredibly dangerous. Despite this, he was eventually given a desk appearance ticket and then released on his own recognizance, something I wish I had access to so many years ago. Apostrophe offers access to treatments for all type of acne and many other skin issues as well. Now that I'm in my 30s and my skin has calmed down a lot, my goal is to get my skin as smooth as possible. And thanks to Apostrophe, I have access to products like Tretinoin. I saw results so quickly after I started using that Tretinoin. One of my favorite parts about getting started with Apostrophe was how easy it was to do the online consultation. I answered the questions and uploaded some pictures so that they could meet my exact skin needs. We have a special deal for Murder Diaries listeners. You can get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash diaries. When you use our code diaries, that's a savings of $15. This code is only available to Murder Diaries listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash diaries, A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash diaries and click begin visit. Thank you to Apostrophe for sponsoring this episode. Five days later, on September 28, 2021, Asamad had another brush with law enforcement when he sucker punched a commuter. 
Details about the assault are few and far between, but it's alleged that the victim swiped in for another subway rider and Asamad became enraged as a result. Asamad was once again put in handcuffs and taken to a nearby police station, only to be released shortly afterward with another desk appearance ticket. Then throughout December 2021, Law enforcement caught wind of Asamad jamming two dozen MetroCard machines at a Herald Square subway station. Because of this, officers arrested him on January 6, 2022, and placed him in the back of a police van, only for him to escape out the back door. The cops eventually caught him and detained him once more, forcing him to stay in their custody overnight. Judge Herb Moses presided over his January 7, 2022 arraignment where he was charged with criminal mischief and unlawful escape. The judge ultimately granted Asamad release without bail and placed him under supervised release, a program that requires enrollees to report in person to authorities twice a month and once by phone. Judge Moses could have further required Asamad undergo a mental health evaluation, but that didn't happen. And it's a decision he since received public scrutiny for. Now let's get back to Asamad's voice behind the door. I'm sure all of you have a ton of questions because I initially described it as a woman's voice. So let's talk a little more about that. An indictment refers to the voice behind the door as, quote, sounding like a woman. And it soon becomes clear that he's impersonating Christina in an attempt to get officers to leave. The audio from the entire exchange is captured by police body cameras which is the reason we know he said the following, quote, I am alone in the apartment. We are okay. No one is bleeding. We don't need help. You broke my door. Go away. We don't need the police. The phrase, no one is bleeding, gives me chills. And did you notice he kept switching between I and we? Thankfully, nobody believes what the voice is saying and they're more determined than ever to get inside the apartment to Christina. SWAT arrives minutes later, and they've got the tools and other special equipment to get the door out of the way. But the first attempt doesn't work, and neither does the second. The team's getting frustrated because they know it's a race against the clock with Christina's life at stake, and things aren't looking good, especially now that she's not making any more noise. They're fearing for the worst. It takes them a total of five minutes to break inside, which is a lot for the SWAT team. And it's probably the longest five minutes of their lives, only for them to be met with another literal obstacle, the barricade. Meanwhile, Asamad realizes he's about to be caught. So instead of staying put and facing the NYPD, he attempts an escape via the window. According to the Manhattan District Attorney, the man climbs onto the fire escape, holding something yellow in his hand before he makes eye contact with an officer stationed on the roof above him and scurries back inside. The authorities finally push their way into the apartment, guns drawn, unsure of what or who they'll encounter. They're desperate to find Christina, but they also need to secure the scene. Remember that second 911 caller? He heard a comment that made him believe there could be a firearm involved. And so they're worried that they may be entering into a gun battle. And the cops know that there's at least one assailant hiding somewhere because the officer on the roof just saw him. As they begin clearing the scene room by room, it's not long before they discover Christina's lifeless body in the bathroom. She's lying in the tub, 
naked from the waist up and covered in blood, the result of over 40 stab wounds to her head, neck, and torso. Christina also has defensive wounds, proving she fought like hell against her attacker. But it's clear to emergency personnel that no life-saving measures will bring her back. And medics officially pronounce Christina dead on the scene at 5.55 a.m. As for Christina's murderer, they find him in the bedroom, hiding under her bed like the coward he is. They pull him from his hideout and come face to face with Asamad Nash, whose crinkled clothes are drenched with blood that isn't his. He's got a self-inflicted stab wound to his torso, along with superficial cuts to his hands and shoulders. Authorities place him under arrest and send him off to Bellevue Hospital to be treated for the scrapes that he sustained. Christina's apartment has now become the scene of an active homicide investigation. It's taped off and investigators get to work, piecing together what happened, sifting through everything. They eventually find a bloody kitchen knife with a yellow handle stashed behind the dresser in Christina's bedroom. And if you remember, when Asamad went out onto the fire escape, he had something yellow in his hand. And he was hiding under her bed just feet from the dresser when police found him. That information and the fact that it's covered in what they presume to be Christina's blood leads investigators to believe it's the murder weapon. They also speculate Asamad grabbed it from Christina's kitchen at the start of the attack because it matches her knife set. Investigators then go door to door questioning each of Christina's neighbors who don't have any more information than the police because the majority of them were asleep when the screaming started. Overall, they're shocked and troubled by the violence that took place feet from their own homes. Without any other leads, investigators begin going through the building's eerie purple-tinted surveillance footage minute by minute. And if you follow us on TikTok or Instagram, I'm sure you've seen the clips from this surveillance footage because I posted a video about it. And what the officers find is bone-chilling. The building's exterior cameras show it's 4.20 a.m. when Christina is dropped off at 111 Christie Street after a Saturday night out with friends. She's bundled in a black coat with the hood up and seems to be in really good spirits as she crosses the sidewalk to the building's front door. Unbeknownst to Christina, she passes a man who we now know to be Asamad Nash, who's lurking in the shadows just behind a large tree. And in that split second that Christina passes Asamad, he decides to follow her into the building. Christina enters the building and Asamad catches the door before it closes behind her, slipping in without a sound. It happens so fast, if you blink, you'll miss it. Then the footage shows Asamad as he silently stalks Christina up six flights of stairs to her six-story apartment. She notices Asamad as she starts to unlock her door, trying to close it before he gets to her, but it's too late. Asamad rushes her and forces his way inside the apartment, and we know what happened after that. When confronted by the video evidence, Asamad claims investigators have it all wrong. He tells detectives that he's innocent. He didn't hurt Christina because she was his friend. Except that's a lie because Christina didn't know Asamad and had never met him before he followed her home that night. He goes on to explain that the only reason he followed her into the building and up to her apartment is because he wanted to protect her from another attacker who, quote, stabbed us up and escaped out the window before authorities arrived on scene. 
which detectives see as Asamad's lame attempt at pinning Christina's horrific murder on someone else. Court documents obtained by Newsweek quote Asamad as saying, I was trying to help this female getting hurt by other people. I was trying to help the lady. Except there's zero evidence to support his version of events. As the detectives are hard at work, news of Christina's murder spreads. Within hours of her death, a makeshift memorial in honor of Christina appears at the base of the tree in front of her apartment building. And yes, it's the same tree Asamad hid behind when he first spotted her. Mourners travel from as far as New Jersey to leave flowers, signs, candles, or to simply pay their respects. But unfortunately, not everyone who visits the memorial has good intentions. It's damaged three separate times in the weeks following Christina's February 13th murder. And one such incident was even caught on camera. Brian Chin, Christina's former landlord, shared surveillance footage with authorities that shows a man kicking and smashing the memorial into pieces, which is truly despicable. The memorial isn't the only way the community bands together, though. The Tuesday after the attack, the Korean American Association of Greater New York gathered outside of 111 Christie Street to mourn Christina to protest a proposed homeless shelter in the neighborhood and voice the growing violence against the AAPI community. Susan Lee, a resident of the neighborhood, was one of the individuals who addressed the crowd. Here's what she had to say. We deserve to be safe, not feel safe, but be safe in our city, in our home. Another local, Jane Park, lamented the loss of Christina and addressed her growing worry of such a violent crime so close to home. Here's what she had to say to an ABC7 reporter covering that rally. This particular horrible story just hit a little too close to home. We're around the same age. Yeah, that could have easily been me. I can't imagine the growing anxiety and additional fear that Jane must feel or Christina must have felt when being followed home because of all the additional attacks on the AAPI community. Christina's friends, family, and colleagues also speak out about the senseless crime and the deep loss that they're left with after Christina's murder. Christina was a senior creative producer for Splice. It's an online music platform, and she worked with huge accounts like Google and Cole Haan throughout her career and always, always, always fought for inclusivity in every single one of her projects. In fact, it's something that is brought up time and again in all of the interviews done of people who knew her. Splice shared their shock and heartbreak over the news of her death to social media writing. Our hearts are broken. Always dedicated to making beautiful and inclusive artwork, Christina is irreplaceable. As we start to process this tragedy, we ask that you remember Christina Lee as the magical person she was, always filled with joy. Family friend and professional golfer Paul Park also remembers Christina and her life in a lengthy article for the Golf Channel. He describes her as someone who was beloved by many and had that special ability to bring people from all walks of life together, which is so uncommon and something to be treasured. He went on to tell the publication that Christina was laid to rest at St. Michael's Catholic Church in Palisades Park, New Jersey. The article mentions that the family wanted to have an intimate private ceremony, but they gladly welcomed more than 300 people who showed up to honor Christina's life. 
her sister, Angela Lee, acted as the family spokesperson and publicly addressed their immeasurable loss through GoFundMe as they began raising funds to donate in honor of Christina with the hope of eventually creating the Christina Una Lee Memorial Fund. Angela wrote, Christina's death has shaken us to our core. Please consider taking part in this collective effort to honor Christina's memory and to help prevent this tragedy from happening to anyone else. Nothing will give her back to us. But with your help, we can make the 35 years she spent on earth mean something for generations to come. We hope to raise at least $100,000 in her name to support the organizations and places that were the most important to her. If we are successful in raising significantly beyond our goal, we will establish the Christina Una Lee Memorial Fund to provide additional support to these organizations and others that were important to Christina in her memory. Meanwhile, Asimad Nash was officially charged with first-degree murder, burglary, and sexually motivated burglary. According to the New York Times, Asimad faces 25 years to life if convicted. At his March 2022 arraignment, Asimad pleaded not guilty through his attorney, maintaining that someone else was responsible for Christina's murder. But it wasn't long before Asimad's story changed. The New York Post got a hold of a 30-minute interrogation video from Rikers Island, where Asimad laughs and acts bored, yawning, and distracted as he discusses Christina's murder. He goes on to tell detectives he was under the influence of K2 and dust in the early morning hours of February 13th, saying, I wasn't in my right state of mind. It's crazy being on that stuff. Asimod claims he bought the substance at 125th Street and Lenox Avenue in Harlem before running into Christina at a park near her apartment. He explained that the two of them were friends and would occasionally chill and relax, which is what they were doing the night of Christina's murder. Even though we know that not to be true because... She was dropped off in front of her apartment after a night out with her actual friends. He then said he followed her into her apartment because she, quote, invited me over for a party. She was having a party and she invited me over for a drink. Detectives then questioned why Christina, a successful creative producer, would invite a homeless man on drugs into her apartment at four o'clock in the morning. Asimad grew angry at this and began shouting, I just told you she invited me. Later in that same video, Asimad told detectives that he doesn't believe he'll ever be put away for Christina's murder, telling them, quote, first of all, they got to have me on camera killing her. I'm not on camera touching her at all. They only have me on camera going into the building. That's it. But detectives questioned that legal strategy, which further triggered Asimad, who began belligerently yelling, listen, you're not listening. They got to have you on camera killing her. They don't got me on camera killing her. They only got me on camera following her into the building. And that's where things remain as far as the legal side of Christina's case. As for the Lee family's GoFundMe efforts, they were super successful, surpassing their initial goal of $100,000 within the first 24 hours. More donations kept pouring in, eventually bringing the total to just over half a million dollars. So as promised, They distributed the money donating to organizations that were near and dear to Christina's heart, including Womankind, a New York-based Asian women's center serving survivors of domestic violence and human trafficking, and multiple local park alliances, one of which was the Elizabeth Street Garden. It's a 200-year-old outdoor recreational space known for bringing together New Yorkers living in lower Manhattan. Angela wrote about her sister's deep appreciation for nature, saying, 
Elizabeth Street Garden was one of her favorite places in New York. She often went there to read, sketch, listen to music, and hear poetry. It was her personal oasis in the middle of the city. That's all I have for you today, but be sure to follow The Murder Diaries on social media. We're on TikTok, Instagram, at The Murder Diaries Pod. Or you can email us case suggestions at the murder diaries pod request at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and give us five stars because it helps us share these super important stories about people no longer here with us. And until then, stay safe. Bye.